At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Join me in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for bringing us to this place. I praise you that you love us, you care for us, you have given us a team of worshipers to lead us to the throne week in and week out. I praise you, Jesus, that your word is still enough for us, that your sacrifice is still enough for us, that the cross has never lost any of its power. The cross has never lost any of its authority, nor will your word, nor will your kingdom, nor will your throne. So as we seek the place of highest authority, as we seek the place of ultimate truth, I pray that through your declarations that you made in the Gospel of Matthew to uh, the Jewish leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, to your disciples and to all those who would have overheard, may they fall fresh in our hearts. May we hear your words, Jesus Christ, and know that it's not just the words of a preacher, it's not just words from a book that we are reading, but it is the word for more of your spirit to fill us, indwell us, enlighten our minds to see what it is you want from us out of our obedience. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise your mighty name. Together we say amen and amen. Let's give him a shout of praise and put our hands together one more time for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So uh, as I've said, uh, week in and week out, we started a new sermon series today. We're going to be here for Seven or eight weeks, I don't know, I think it's seven weeks. Uh, we'll be here for seven, I'm only focused on week one right now. We'll be here for seven weeks in, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 as we are looking at uh, the future things that Jesus prophesied, that he talked about, and, and really like a tumultuous time in the lives of the disciples. So they were asking the question in Matthew chapter 24, what now? So I think that many of us on the heels of a pretty tumultuous year on the heels of many different things going in and out of our lives. I think we're asking the same question as well. What now? And we need to know how tomorrow shapes today. So we're going to go ahead and just get this quick word study out of the way because we're going to say it all the time. And for many of you, it will be a reminder. For, for many of us, it will be new. Uh, so this is commonly referred to as eschatology. And you're going to hear a word that I'm going to say over and over again, eschatological, right? And it means future things or end times or final judgment uh, or, you know, the final eternity of our soul, these types of things. But in the very simplest form of the word, there's a Greek word that is eschatos, and it means last. Ology means the study of. So it's simply the study of the final things, right? The study of the last things. So we're going to hear this word a whole bunch of times throughout this sermon series, uh, but I wanted to clear that up right now uh, for us so we won't be asking any questions. Amen? Amen. All right, so as we do make our way forward in the year 2021, the year of our Lord, many of us are asking, what now? What do we do? Now that we made it through what's felt like one of the most difficult times of our life, what do I do now? 
And God, what, how do I make sense of all these things that are going on around me? And, and how should I live with what you're doing? And does your word about the future impact my today? Or is it just the narrative of something that hasn't happened yet? Or, you know, in, in the seat of a pastor in the last year or so, I would say, maybe more so in the last six months, I've had many meetings about how these are the end times and Jesus is coming back tomorrow or the next week or the next month and we need to be ready. And I say, amen, we do need to be ready at all times. But the Bible also is very clear that no one will know. Only the Father will know when that day is. So as we ask these questions of what now, as we ask these questions of how tomorrow shapes today, again, we're going to take a look into a tumultuous time in the lives of Christ and his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to cover the first 14 verses today in our seven-week series through chapter 24 and 25. And this is commonly known, 24 and 25, as the Olivet Discourse. This is the second longest recorded discourse of Christ in the scriptures, second only to the Sermon on the Mount. Just a collection of Christ preaching and teaching and things that we need to hear, things that we need to understand. He's also prophesying here and he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the sign of his coming, the end of the age. And all of these things are very significant for the disciples because they need to know how they're supposed to live when these things are coming. They need to know what they're supposed to do when these things are coming. They also need to know the same thing that we need to know today is how does what Christ says about the future shape today, shape for us to live today. So as we open this sermon series called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Uh, let me set the stage just a little bit further about where we're at. So Christ enters the temple in Jerusalem in chapter 21 of Matthew's gospel. And throughout chapter 22, he's sort of uh, debating and teaching back and forth where the, the scribes and Pharisees ask him a question to try to trip him up. And in standard Jesus fashion, he answers them and their, their minds are blown, right? They have no idea how to handle what he just said. And they keep trying to get him uh, to to, to fall back on things, to either condemn Rome or condemn God or to condemn the scriptures, but he is the scripture, so he cannot do that. That happens throughout chapters 21 and 22, and then chapter 23 is a very sharp, sharp discourse that Christ has with scribes and Pharisees. It's where he preaches judgment over them and the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he is very sharp with them. Remember, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He tells them that, that your house has now become a desolate place, that the temple is going to go away, and all this stuff you've been doing, all this preaching that you've been doing that you haven't been living out is all going to be ended. Judgment is coming. So as we get here to chapter 24, on the heels of what Jesus said in chapter 23, as he preaches the woes to scribes and Pharisees, laments over Jerusalem and the impending destruction of the temple, he speaks now to his disciples in chapter 24. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to look at three declarations here from the first 14, 14 verses excuse me, of chapter 24. The first declaration that Christ makes is that there is going to be a great destruction. The first declaration he makes to his people, to his disciples, is that there will be a great destruction. Let's look at these first two verses of chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. 
So the first section of the scripture here, these first two verses, we see Jesus foretelling of this great destruction of the temple. Jesus leaves the temple, which was paramount. It was central in in Jewish theology and Jewish worship. That is where God resided. That was where all of their uh, uh, religious worship went. That It held tremendous value in their spiritual lives, the temple. And Jesus is saying it's going to be torn down. Jesus is walking out of the temple. It says he's walking away. Commentator say he's walking away from the temple for the last time, knowing that the only thing left for the temple is destruction. And we're reminded of this as we read throughout scriptures of prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 11. It says that the the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city, that Jesus went up from Jerusalem, and then he went to sit on the mountain that resided near to the east, which was the Mount of Olivet. And it says that, that the holiest of holies, which we know is Jesus Christ, has now left the temple, saying the temple is going to be torn down. And Jesus knows all of this stuff because it's prophecy, because it is him. It's in the word. He knows the Father's plan perfectly. He's telling the scribes and Pharisees that your desolate house is going to be left to you, that I am walking out of this house. He knows that the prophecy of the den of robbers is judgment that's upcoming from Zechariah chapter 14. We see these Old Testament prophecies coming true right here, right now in Jerusalem, next to the Mount of Olivet, where he gives the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus knows all of this stuff, and as he's delivering it to the scribes, Pharisees, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and his disciples, they're pretty confused. They don't really understand what's going on. They can't make sense of what Jesus is saying is going to happen. And the first signal that we see, which should always be a signal for us to pay very close attention in Scripture, in verse 1 of chapter 24, it says the disciples pulled Jesus aside to point something out to him. How many of you have ever tried to point something out to Jesus? Where you're like, hey, Jesus, let me uh, explain this to you real quick. As I'm praying for Aunt Ruby, you know, the one who lives in Milwaukee. You know, when the dog the, the, has Spike, the dog. And, you know, she's got a little bit of an issue here and there. He's like, I know, I know, I know. I know your Aunt Ruby. I know the one you're talking about. So as the disciples pull Jesus aside, we should be, uh, our, our ears should perk up right away. Whenever the disciples try to point something out to Jesus or explain something to Jesus, something very important is usually following that right away. And he says, after they point, him, after they point out to him the temple, Mark's gospel says, look at how beautifully arrayed the stones are in this beautiful temple. That if we don't understand what the temple looked like, it's tough for us to understand exactly what Jesus is saying when he's saying it's going to be destroyed. That one stone will not be left upon another. This temple was beautiful. These stones were cut with such precision that there wasn't even mortar in the temple. They were just stacked on one another. The the, the temple was inlaid with gold and other precious metals and stones. There was all kinds of beautiful things. It was enormous. And Jesus says it's going to get torn down. And not one stone is going to be stacked on top of another. And then the disciples pull him to the side and they say like, this this temple, Jesus, is this what you're talking about? Like, are you sure? Like, do you want to reconsider the prophecy that you just made? Because there's no way this temple could ever get torn down, and then we see just four short decades later, in AD 70, the Roman government comes in under the emperor Titus, and what do they do? They tear down every single stone. They don't just destroy it. 
But it says, if you read Josephus, a great historian of the first century, says that Roman soldiers were tearing the stones apart to, to collect the gold that was in between the stones. So Jesus' words when he says, not even one stone will be stacked upon another. Just a few, just under four decades later, it comes true. Jesus leaves the temple never to return. This signifies an enormous change in biblical history. That when the temple is saying it's going to be torn down, right? We know from Jesus in, in John's gospel when he says, tear down this temple, right? And in three days, I'll raise it again. But we know that God is not going to be confined to a place. God is not going to be confined to a temple. That Jesus Christ is the tabernacle of God. That he is the temple of God. And when he gets the revelation, when John gets the revelation in the book of Revelation, he says, I saw a city with no temple for the Lord God and the Lamb have become the temple. So this destruction of the temple is talking about a huge shift in biblical theology, a huge shift, especially for the scribes, Pharisees, and disciples that were there. They can't imagine life without this temple, especially the scribes and Pharisees who have tied all of their spiritual worship, all of their rituals, all of their lowercase l lordship over the people to this temple. That everything was about the church. And now you can see uh, how quickly people begin to fall in love with their castles today, right? How quickly people begin to fall in love with their church buildings today. And Jesus is saying, there is no longer one temple. I am the temple. I am the place where the Holy of Holies resides. I am the one that you need to tie all of your worship to, all of your ritual to, all of what's happening. And it's important for us to understand again fully. I know I'm belaboring this point, but it's very important for us to understand exactly what Jesus' words meant when he uh, prophesied of this great destruction, when he made this declaration. It's all the woes of the Pharisees from chapter 23 coming true. It's everything he said would happen is coming true. That we struggle with this, I think, today even in our own lives, right, of uh, temple worship of doing all the right things in front of all the right people, you know, the good folk at church, so they can see our religiosity, they can see our worship, and they will think highly of us. And Elder Don, uh, last Sunday, led this. He preached something out of Matthew chapter 23 where he said these people sit in the seat of Moses so they're worthy to be listening to, of being listened to, but they do not practice what they preach. So this idea of temple worship, this idea of Jewish nationalism, this idea of, of Jewish theology being God's only chosen people, this is why this great destruction is so important. Because when Jesus says the temple is going to be torn down and not one stone will be stacked on top of another, he's saying it is beginning. That, that the word is going to be preached, the gospel is going to be preached because you Jewish folks have, re have rejected the gospel. It's now going to be preached to all people and Jesus is saying we are exchanging this religious activity that was only found in the temple for a personal relationship with the temple that is Jesus Christ and these temple realities we understand you know we talked about this a few months ago as well right Jewish temple theology Jewish temple worship I'm, I, I encourage some of you to go home and do a study on that I'm not sure how many of us took up the the rousing task of Jewish temple theology it makes for great reading in, in the midweek but it's super important for us to understand understand the things of Christ, right? Because this, this also comes out in the book of Hebrews, right? How this temple is going to go away and the importance of this temple, the, centra the centrality of the religious importance and significance of this temple is going to go away because Jesus Christ is the temple. He's the fulfillment of all religious worship of all time. He's the fulfillment of the holy of holies. He's the fulfillment of, of wherever we would place an altar. It is Jesus Christ, 
We see this fulfillment, and it is so important to us. And why is it so important to us that this declaration was made to these people? Because it came true. That is centrally to us why it is so important that Christ Jesus prophesied something and it came true in its fullness. Because over the last year with everything that's happened, has your trust in the word of God grown or diminished? Because as, as Jesus is preaching, this very difficult prophecy to hear, right? If I would have stood up and told you at the end of 2019, let me tell you about next year. You'd be like, really? Like all that is going to happen? For real? Like so, so we, would have, we would have heard that and been in shock and awe, similarly to the way that Jesus' disciples and the scribes and Pharisees would have been like, nah, there's no way all that could happen, right? But it's so important to understand that what Jesus says always comes true because we have what Jesus says. We're looking at the second longest discourse of Christ in the recorded scriptures. It's very important that we should know what it says in here because it is going to come true, Amen. So over the past year, has your trust in God's promises found primarily in his word grown or diminished? And if it's diminished, it leads us very easily into point number two. If it's grown, it leads you with responsibility into point number two. It's the great deception. Jesus talks about a great destruction of the temple. Now he's talking about a great deception of his people. Let's read together uh, in verse three. It'll be on the screen behind me if it's not in the Bible in your lap. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For, it's just so important. I just got to pause right here. It's so important. They're asking questions about what it's going to look like. And he, he doesn't even answer the question. He says, See that no one leads you astray. And you will hear of wars. Excuse me. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. So the second thing we see Jesus declare is that there will be a great deception amongst the people. That there will be many who are coming in his name to, to lead you astray. That there's going to be all this calamity around you. Wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquake and famine. All this stuff is going to happen. But it is not the end. It's just the beginning of the birth pain. So what Jesus is doing here right now with the disciples as he walks up the Mount of Olives, it says. And then they pull him privately and say like, okay... We believe you. You said all this stuff's going to happen. Now tell us what it means. Tell us when we're going to know all this stuff is going to happen. And then he, again, doesn't even answer the question. He exists here to expand their horizons, to expand their theological understanding by saying, there is a life after the temple goes away. After this great destruction, I've prophesied, it's not all going to end. It's not going to be the end of the age right away. It's not going to be the end times right away. That there are going to be people that are going to try to lead you astray. So again, we see perseverance and deception. Perseverance and deception. We see Jesus telling his followers you need to persevere that you need to continue to go but you also need to be weary of those that are looking to lead you astray of those that are imposters that will try to get you to too hastily jump into eschatological conclusions by saying oh there's wars in the middle east the end time is coming right now 
that is not what Christ is calling us to do. You know, I've, I've, I, did, I don't have to really convince you that there's wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines, do I? Right? We all know it, it exists. But I did do a little bit of research that uh, since the end of World War II, that there has always been a war going on. Always. There's never been peace all over the world. There has been a, a clearly defined conflict amongst people since the end of World War II and probably since Cain and Abel, right? That there's been people who have been at enmity with one another since the beginning. So wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. You know, when I was preparing for this message this week, I rarely listen to other preachers preach. I just don't listen to a lot of other sermons. Uh, but I listened to a guy who was preaching in Philadelphia in 1991. And, and we could have just pressed play on the message today, and it would have been just as relevant today, where he was talking about the Berlin Wall and uh, the, the, the ditch that was being dug between the United States and Mexico and famine in Ethiopia, trading food for weapons with the Russians. Like, that, that sounds like it could happen today, right? Yet, yet 30 years ago, a pastor stood up in Philadelphia and preached almost the same message and the end didn't come on Tuesday, right? Now, I'm not saying it's not coming this Tuesday. I don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus says only the Father would know. But this is why it's so important for us that over the last year, all these things that we've seen, all these things that we're hearing, is this leading us to trust God's word more or trust God's word less? Because he says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ trying to lead you astray. And that can be looked at in both directions. I, I, I'll give you my opinion, though, that in both directions it can be looked at, that many will come in my name saying, I am here in the name of Jesus. He is the Christ, but then they're leading you astray. False prophets and false teachers. Others will say on the other side of that, that many will come in his name saying, I am the Messiah, right? I am where salvation is going to come from. I am the Christ. And then they will lead people astray. And I think both are true for our fickle emotions and our fickle ears and fickle hearts that when we hear salvation is coming from a political party or uh, a movie right we're like yeah that sounds good i want that or when we hear uh, preachers and teachers stand up whether it's on the radio or tv or in the church that you attend and they say this this is the real bible this is the real gospel and it doesn't actually exist in the bible people are being led astray this is why Trust in God's promises found in his word are so important for us because the great deception is coming. And I know the temptation, right? We, we, I think many of us have fallen prey to the temptation where we hear all this stuff going on and we're like, it's the end times for sure. I know it's happening. And if I can carry the one and look at this war in this geographical location and look at this famine and this earthquake that happened, then I will be able to predict the date and time that Christ is going to return. And I know that we've heard this. Maybe none of you are, you know, that serious about it. Maybe some of you are. That's okay. You're, you're allowed to be. But I pray that we would take Jesus's deeply practical and pastoral words to our hearts today as his disciples were meant to, right? I think that the, the temptation is that we're much more concerned with an accurate prediction of prophecy rather than passionate perseverance right and christ is not teaching that he's actually teaching the opposite he's saying this is just the beginning of the birth pains how many women have ever been in labor did the baby come right away some i can hear some groans even right now they're like mm -mm, no right he says it's just the beginning 
of the birth pains, right? Passionate perseverance is what is important for us here. And again, Jesus is speaking prophetically here, but more than anything, I think he's speaking practically and pastorally. He's saying, yes, here is a prophecy, but I I want to make sure that you do not get deceived. You do not misunderstand the things that I am saying to you. That yes, these are signs of the end of the age. Yes, these are things that are coming, but it is not going to be immediate. He cautions them by saying, yes, you may think these are signs, but they are not signs. They're just the beginning of the birth pains. So it's like uh, when you go on a trip, right? How many of you like to go on road trips, right? We don't know necessarily the mile marker at which the end of the age is going to be, but if you're going to Florida and you start to see signs for Chicago, Milwaukee, and Montana, you're going the wrong way, right? But as you go to Florida, you're like, oh, Toledo, okay, I think I'm going the right way, Indianapolis, okay, Knoxville, Atlanta, like I'm, I'm going the, the right way, and I'm sort of counting the mile markers. Jesus is saying, yes, all of these things, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, they are all mile markers that you can watch and see the end is coming, but none of us know the final destination. None of us know the moment that we're going to arrive, right? These are all mile markers. These are all cities along the way, but we do not know exactly when it's going to come. So this is why Jesus preaches much more clearly about passionate perseverance than he does accurate prediction of prophecy he's not saying predict this right and then you'll make it he's saying you need to stay strong you need to stay firm because people are going to try to lead you astray because the world is going to get turned upside down because these believers these disciples they couldn't imagine a life without a temple they could not fathom god's existence on earth without the temple they just couldn't even imagine it similarly to again us If someone were to stand in front of you in 2019 and say 2020 was going to happen exactly the way it happened, right, you would have said no way, right? You would have said that couldn't have happened. And somebody would have said that once there was, you know, a new president or the same president in 2021, everything would get better. And surprise, it hasn't, right? We're, We're continuing on because Jesus says these are mile markers. These are the ways for the reasons why we should continue in perseverance, that that he wants us to persist despite the difficulty that we're going to encounter. He longs for us not to be led astray by people or things that are saying, I am the Christ, or this is the Messiah, or this is where salvation will come from. Jesus is still the only Savior. He is the only Savior, was the only Savior, and will always be the only Savior. Many others will claim to be, but they're imposters, right? They're counterfeits. And if it doesn't look like Jesus, then it is not true. If it is not Jesus as the Savior, then it is not true. How many of you have ever seen a counterfeit $200 bill? That's right. You don't copy things that aren't the original, right? Nobody's seen it. Nobody's coming in something that doesn't sound like this because he is the only Savior. And salvation is being claimed to be brought from us from many, whether it's preachers in pulpits, whether it's political figures uh, standing behind podiums, whether it's musicians or actors or uh, Silicon Valley leaders, whatever it is, salvation is being offered to us in many different ways, a a person, political group, organization, whatever it is, but we need to be reminded afresh every day, just as the disciples who had Jesus in their grasp needed a reminder that Jesus is the only king. That he is the only one that can offer salvation. He is the only one who knows when the time will come. And when he comes, we will, we will know who he is because we will be able to recognize him. Why? Because we have been passionately persevering in obedience to him. Not because we have been sifting through almanacs to find the right day and the right time. 
If you are passionately persevering after Jesus every single day, it won't make a huge difference to you. If it's this Thursday or if it's a thousand years after you die, it won't make a big difference to you because you're passionately persevering after Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do and not be deceived and led astray. So again, Jesus' words, I think, are just as needed today uh, as they were when he spoke them to the disciples originally. Because what does he say in verse 6? See that you are not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed. Just continue on after me. That all this stuff must take place, but it's not the end. Don't lose heart. Continue to persevere. Don't be deceived. Follow him in obedience. And why does he preach perseverance? Because of point number three and the next things he says in scripture, they're not very easy to hear, church, okay? So I want you to just brace yourselves, brace your hearts, because uh, it doesn't get any easier. As Jesus preaches about the great destruction of the, de of the temple, the great deception of these false prophets and false teachers that will come along saying that I'm the Messiah, come along saying uh, in, in the name of Christ, come along with, you know, uh, news reports of wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and all the stuff that has been going on since before any of us will, uh, were born and will continue to go on lest Christ returns today, tomorrow, the next day until many of us have gone into glory. The third thing that Jesus says to his disciples that is important for us to see, point number three, is a great declaration. He declares to them things that are about to happen. And again, brace yourselves because it's mostly bad. But then he gives us the good news at the end. Amen. Let's read verses 9 through 13. Excuse me, 14 says this. Then, actually, let, let's just pause here. But the beginning of the birth pains. I just I want to rest there for just a minute. There's an illustration that, that I think is important for us. I wasn't going to include this, but I've got time. Hallelujah. Uh, when, when we were pregnant with Ezra, there was a, a medical resident. And I'm trying to look around and make sure this isn't going to be too inappropriate for anybody. But there was a medical resident who came in and, and told Rachel that she was eight centimeters. I won't say anything else about that. You know what that means, right? And for any moms that have had children, eight centimeters means it's almost time, right? That we're almost there. And then the OB comes in, the real doctor comes in after this imposter and this, <laughs> this, this false messiah that came in and led us astray, right? And the OB comes in and says, oh, you're one centimeter, right? So, so we thought the end was close. And we were like all geared up and ready to go. We were like, okay, it's coming. This is it, right? We're ready. And, and, and our, our hearts started to change. The way that we acted started to change a little bit. Instead of just saying that the end is going to come when the end is going to come. Babies were born when babies are ready to be born. And when we are not tied to that truth, it becomes very, very difficult for us, right? Because then what happens is moving theoretically from eight centimeters now down to actually one centimeter, very, in very short order after that, what happened? We were like epidural. <laughs> like, come on, bring it in. Let's, let's go. <laughs> I can't stand this pain anymore. Not me, I was, I was doing fine. But <laughs> it's, it's every husband's story, right? You know, until it happens and you're like, ah, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I don't know. But this is the idea, right, of this great deception. This is the idea of the destruction and, and, and the great declaration that Christ is making. He's saying, you may think it's coming right now, but don't let that switch you up. That can't change the way you function. Because if you are passionately persevering Christ every day of your life, it won't matter to you when the end is. That we will continue to do the things that he tells us we need to do in point number three, the great declaration. Now we can pick up verse nine. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation 
put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So we see right here, right, that if I was one of Jesus' disciples and I was listening carefully and he said, I'm going to, you know, you're going to tear this temple down three days. I'm going to rise again. If, if I was expecting the resurrection of Jesus and I was one of his disciples, I would think I'm on the winning team. I would think things are probably going to get pretty good, right? If my, the guy I've been following, who really is the son of God, if he dies and comes back from the grave... Like, chances are we're sitting pretty. Chances are we're going to win every fight that comes our way, right? People are just going to bow down to him and then by proxy us, right, because we're on the winning team. Like, you know, uh, even the 50th man on the roster got a, got a Super Bowl ring when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won, right? Everybody's talking about Tom Brady, but everybody gets a ring, right? So that's kind of what they're thinking. They're like, we're about to win. It's going to be great. And then Jesus gives them this declaration, this depiction of what it's going to look like in their lives when he says, uh, from the outside of your group, you're going to experience tribulation. Oh, and actually martyrdom. You're going to die. They're going to kill you for the sake of my name. Uh, and also, everyone will hate you. All nations will hate you for my name's sake. Then, that's just from the outside. Then from the inside of the church, you're going to see many people fall away from the truth. You're going to see people betraying one another. You're going to see people hating one another. You're going to see false prophets rising up. And then I think this is the most important one for us today. Lawlessness increases and the love of many grows cold. It's very important for us today because we have to understand who makes the law. Who makes the ultimate law? There is a law giver and a law maker. And lawlessness according to his law causes the love of many to grow cold. And I would say in the church today, in Christendom today, we're pretty cold hearted. Our love has decreased dramatically. We don't really care about one another. Unless they believe everything we believe. And eat all the food we like to eat. And listen to all the music we like to listen to. And live in the right zip code. And wear the right clothes. Work at the right place. Drive the right car. Can't drive one of those three. You've got to drive this one. The love of many has grown cold. And we see this lack of love for God. And we see this really bleak situation that Christ is painting. This great declaration. This depiction of what their lives are going to look like. And he's doing something for them that is actually love. Even though he's giving them all bad news, it's what they need. And, and many of us as parents, right, we, we give lots of bad news to our kids, but it's what they need. And I'm not particularly thrilled about telling my five-year-old Ezra, like, hey, you know, the sickness that has gone around the last year, that was really tough that playgrounds were closed and stuff. He's like, yeah, it's bad. And, and we couldn't get ice cream whenever we wanted to. Yeah, it was bad. I'm like, oh, it's going to get worse, actually. Like, I'm not thrilled to, to talk about that. However, it's the truth, because Christ was very clear from his resurrection to his return, it's not going to be this Christian utopian dream where churches are going to rule and reign and, and business leaders and elected officials are going to bow down at whatever the pastor or the minister or the deacon or deaconess say. In fact, it says 
Everyone's going to hate you. And it's not really going to go well for you. Hearts are going to grow cold. And Jesus is dismantling this false utopia that the disciples had. And, and that's what we're doing right now, today. Dismantling this false utopia that many of us have. I've had conversations with people that said, if Donald Trump gets reelected, America will be a Christian nation again. And I was like, how long have you lived here? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's not going to be a Christian nation if anyone else gets elected either. Trust me. It's never going to happen. It's only happened once. There was only one theocracy in the history of the world. And then they demanded a king and it all went to hell from there. There's no such thing. The only Christian nation is the kingdom of God. That's the only Christian nation. And we're all citizens of it. Hallelujah, right? That, that's exciting for us. Jesus is reminding his disciples it's the cross now, the crown later. Jesus is reminding his disciples it's labor pains now, it's delivery later. And for any mothers that have delivered a child, all the pains were worth it, amen? All the difficulty that we go through is worth it. So what we need to do, based on what Jesus is teaching right here to his disciples, is we need to breathe. Breathe in, right? Did I do okay? I took one class, right? Should I do it in the mic? Right? I've never done this before, right? I've never had a baby, but I'm trying. We need to breathe. I know it hurts. I know the pain is real. I know it's problematic for us. I know we feel like breath is being drawn from our lungs and we can't go another moment. But we need to breathe and passionately persevere toward this baby that's going to be born. Because the kingdom is going to be born. There is an already not yet kingdom of heaven that is here and real and is coming in full consummation. And it may be hard and it may be long, but it will always be worth it. So after Jesus gives uh, these negative, this negative news, right, after he gives the bad news to his disciples, he gives them good news. Gives them encouraging news with our last two verses of the day. In verses 13 and 14, he starts to encourage them by saying that the one who endures till the end will be saved. That if you endure through all of this, you will be saved. And the end he's talking about is not the end of the age. Not the one who makes it, right? Not the one who is strong enough to make it to the end of the race. But it's a quotation from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus quoting himself, right? Where it's the end of your life. That if you endure, passionately persevere toward Christ in obedience for however many days you have here, you will be saved. Your endurance is not what grants you salvation. By grace through faith is how salvation is and has always been granted. But that faith produces endurance. That faith produces our ability to persevere. That when we have faith that this baby is going to be born. That when we have faith that even though it's painful right now, that leads to endurance. That leads to perseverance. And perseverance is the mark of the redeemed. Right? That we have been redeemed by Christ so we're not going to fall astray. So we're not going to listen to these false teachers. We're not going to listen to these these fake messiahs. Perseverance is the marker of the redeemed. So Jesus says, if you endure to the end of the age, you will be saved. So no matter the difficulty we're going to encounter, if somebody says, no matter how hard it's going to be, you will be saved, chances are we're going to say, yes, Lord, I will do that. Because I want that. I want to be saved, even if it's from a selfish position. But by grace through faith, Gives us faith that endures in perseverance. The second encouraging thing that he gives the disciples here 
It's when he says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. He's saying that this is what's going to happen. The temple is going to be destroyed. This, this idea of Jewish nationalism is going to be dismantled, that there is not going to be one nation that lays claim to all the promises of God, that the word of truth, the gospel is going to go out, and it's going to be spread to everybody. When he says the world, he's not talking about geography. The, the word in Greek means inhabited lands. So that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people hears the gospel. That that is what we're called to do. We're called to spread the gospel in our immediate immunity, in our immediate community, excuse me, and into these uninhabited areas. That's why this video for India is so important for us. 1.3 billion people that have never heard the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this baby to be born, right? I'm ready for the labor pains to end, right? And as we look at this, it says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations then. The end will come. The end won't come until the gospel has reached far outside of the Jewish world, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. That it has to go everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But that gives us no warrant for deciding when the end is. That is only up to God. And what's so amazing, as the worship team comes back out on stage here, we're going to sing an awesome hymn together as we close service. I don't know about you, how many of you have loved having a hymn a week? So, yeah, oh, come some people are even clapping. Hallelujah, there you go, that's right, right? Because uh, it, it's just scripture, set to tune. Hallelujah. Jesus says that all these troubles that you're going to experience, all these difficulties you're going to experience, it's not going to hinder the kingdom of God. It's only going to cause the kingdom of God to advance more furiously, actually. That when the darkness gets darkest, that's when the light shines brightest, right? Since the church in Acts, till today, things have been rough for Christians, right? It has not been going well, necessarily. There's not a utopian dream for Christians out there. But all of these troubles, all of these birth pains, all of these wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, earthquakes and pestilences and all these different things... They will not hinder the progress of the kingdom of God. Instead, it gives opportunity for the gospel to advance. That there are more people with broken hearts today, I would assume, than the world has ever known. And what's the only cure to a broken heart? Jesus, right? This is a great opportunity for the gospel to advance. There's more people today saying uh, th this community is broken or this world system's never going to work or this political party is going to ruin everything. All I hear is... More opportunity for the kingdom of God to be preached as perfection, right? So for all of us who are found in Christ, this is what we're supposed to hear. When we hear of rumors of wars, we're supposed to say, I'm mourning with those who mourn. I'm weeping with those who weep. I am sad for my brothers and sisters, and I'm praying alongside of them. But ultimately, I'm saying... What a great opportunity for the kingdom of heaven. What a great opportunity for the gospel to go forth. That whenever we experience heartbreak, that's just a great opportunity for God to heal our hearts. And the, the, the book of Acts, the, the church in Acts, the church throughout the history of the world shows that with increased persecution from outside and in, and increased proclamation from the people who are found in God, that leads to a growth in the church, right? The church in Acts erupted when the Roman government tried to squash it out. The church in, church in Acts exploded when people were, were falling astray left and right. The church grew because of persecution. The problem with us is that we don't want the kingdom of God. We want my kingdom. I want to be in charge. I want to rule. I want lower car insurance rates. I, I want cheaper groceries. 
Have you seen the inflation on bread? It's like, yeah, we, yes. It's a better opportunity for the bread of heaven, right? It's a better opportunity for the bread of life. So what we need to address, those of us that are found in the kingdom of God today, is do I really want the kingdom of God? Or do I want the kingdom of the earth? Do I want my kingdom to be ruling and reigning? Ultimately, we want the kingdom of God. And it's true for us today, just as it was true for Christ's disciples, that instead of taking time and wasting effort to decode the current events, we need passionate pursuit of the great commandment and great commission. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go. We're called to evangelize. We're called to disciple. We're called to baptize. We're called to teach obedience. That's what we're called to do. And we're called to love God and love others in the process, right? When we put it in those 15 words, it sounds pretty simple, right? We know it's difficult, though. We know that it's hard, but this is why Jesus, as he begins to uh, give his eschatological discourse on the Mount of Olives, he's actually preaching perseverance more than he's preaching prediction. He's preaching passionate perseverance as a pastor of his people to continue to go forward. And, and when when when. Jesus comes back, again, it's not going to be, you have picked the right day, good and faithful servant. No, it's you have been passionately toward, perseverant toward the things of heaven, toward the kingdom of God. You have experienced Christ as the only Savior. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So for all of us, we need to understand that the gospel must be proclaimed throughout the world. And all of us have a part in that equation because Christ hasn't come back yet. Amen. That means the gospel can still go forth. That means broken hearts can still be healed. That means broken nations can still be broken even harder, dashed against the rock of the world that is Christ. And hearts can be turned to him. So as we hear this message today, I want to invite us to stand to our feet. As we hear this word today, this prophecy from Christ, and also this deeply practical and pastoral message from Christ to his disciples, I pray that we are met with encouragement. That if any of us have put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus alone as our Lord and Savior, he hasn't come back yet, and the gospel still needs to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, right? And whether we partner practically, physically, or financially with India, we can do that. But I, I would encourage you to start in your own house. I would encourage you to start at your own dinner table. I would encourage you to start with your own neighbors. neighbors. That as the gospel of Christ must be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. If we want the kingdom of God, then we need to play by the rules right then it's not about prediction it's not about this person said that date or that date because if that changes anything about the way you live you weren't living for the kingdom of God to begin with right we were living for the kingdom of me right the kingdom of I want to predict this right but for any of us that have not experienced this freedom of the gospel yet that you can hear bad news like this and be excited like it sounds crazy for anybody that has not heard the gospel or has not accepted the gospel up under the sound of my voice right now, they're like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I don't want to die or I don't want to be killed. I don't want everybody to hate me. I don't want people to lead me astray. It is always worth it that a life found with Christ, a heart healed by Christ, an identity sealed by Christ is always worth it. If you have any questions about that i want to talk to you after service today but i'm going to close us in a word of prayer and we're going to sing a song called blessed assurance because for those of us that are found in christ we do have a blessed assurance hallelujah 
Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. God, I thank you for these words. Jesus, I thank you that as we look at this deeply prophetic discourse that you gave that seems to make very little sense and we want to try to predict it and try to make sense of it, may we look to you as our pastor today. May we look to you as the one who is passionately preaching perseverance to us. That we just need to continue on. We need to keep going because the promises that you have made will always come true. So I thank you that you are a promise maker and a promise keeper, Jesus. I thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And I thank you that because you have not returned yet, our portion in the equation is to continue to go, evangelize, disciple, baptize, and teach obedience all over the world. We love you. We praise you. Give us strength by the Holy Spirit of the living God to fulfill that commandment and that commission in our lives as you see fit. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. We pray and say hallelujah and amen. Let's put our hands together for Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.